Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and this podcast is my way of bringing you ideas for your own composing and songwriting from all sorts of creative people. Every episode is free to download or stream at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. The intro you heard was created by today's guest, sound artist and animation composer Paul Fraser. Since Paul is fond of collecting everyday sounds and making music out of them, I thought it'd be fun to see what Paul could do with sounds I recorded around my neighborhood. So in today's episode, Paul gives some composing tips, sound design tips, and music business tips. We also talk about some of his crazy personal projects, including music for 100 stylophones, which are kind of like a little toy keyboard that you play with a stylus. Before we get into our talk, I have a special jingle to share for my new patron, Daryl St. Blaine. Daryl's a cool guy who travels the world and eats fire for a living. He asked that I write a jingle for his imaginary Saturday morning cartoon called Flint Grindstone. Thanks, Daryl, for supporting Composer Quest. I really appreciate it. If any other fans out there would like to become an official patron of the podcast, visit patreon.com slash charlie. Thanks for considering it. Just a reminder, if you're in Minnesota, come check out our Star Wars Day concert on May 4th. We've gotten several submissions for the forehand piano quest, and I'm excited to hear them come to life in the concert. It's a free show at Underground Music Cafe at 6 p.m., Again, on May 4th, Sunday. Hope to see you there. Now, let's get on to my talk with Paul Fraser. You've been um, doing, it seems like, a lot of animation work. Music and sound for animations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of been my primary focus. I went to CalArts grad school program in composition with the goal to go there and spend half of my time making really weird stuff and half of my time working with animators because they have a really strong animation program. That's cool. I was watching a bunch of the animations you worked on. One of my favorites was Shape. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's cool because, like, in the video, there's the two characters, the round fat guy and the skinny pointy guy and i feel like you gave them each a voice that fit their shapes even though they're these simple little guys yeah Um, yeah yeah it was run because uh the skinny tall guy was kind of snarky and the little guy was kind of like r2d2 Yeah, it was like C-3PO, R2-D2. I never thought about that. Yeah. So yeah, uh, basically I have this little handheld Korg synthesizer. I think it sells for like 50 bucks. And it definitely looks like a toy. <laughs> it is It is a toy. But yeah, no, it, it made some cool sounds. And so I was just like, I want to make the sound design for an entire little short film with just this. 
And that was the goal going in. It was just all about making as many sounds as I possibly could. And so I sort of like cataloged which ones were like what type of general sound design. And then I kind of went in and placed them where they worked. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the Kiki Boba experiment? Your project kind of reminded me of that because they did this test with people who spoke different languages where they showed them like a pointy star and Mm. a round blob. And they asked them which one's Kiki and which one's Bobo. And (laughs) always the round one was the Bobo and Kiki. Because it's like just the way... The sound is more sharp to us, or the way yeah. our mouths are shaped. Yeah, that's know. interesting. Yeah, and so it was kind of like that, uh, where I was doing a little, you know, kind of an intuitive sound design, where I picked some sounds, a set of sounds that I thought went with the little guy, and then sounds that go with the tall guy. And the walls, too, seemed like they kind of had their own sound, like oh, yeah. bumping the walls. I, I don't know what I was going for for that. I just, I just kind of found a sound that sounded like plastic or some sort of edge. One show I've been working on is called Pubertina. It's a YouTube show. And, uh, and we, it was very musical. The characters would break out into song at times, which was really cool in this, you know, pubescent world. Could you explain the characters in that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is basically a show about this girl and her best friend, Uh, this girl who's like, I think she's 11 and she's going through puberty way too early compared to her classmates. And it's really awkward. And the humor tends to be, you know, there's some period jokes, you know, stuff like that. But I think it's really well done the way Emily kind of framed it. It's also covering a topic that doesn't really get covered very often in the animation world. So I feel like it's doing a service to all the little preteen kids who watch it. and Maybe they'll be less afraid of periods and yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> well, I think that's been the general response. I mean, at first, there was a huge outcry in the YouTube comments from 98% little boys you know, couldn't, who, couldn't, <laughs> who couldn't handle it. You know? And, and um, then after a while, people just got used to it. So it was kind of cool, you know, in a way we the focus kind of changed to, to like, hey, this is a cool show. So Yeah. What's one of your favorite songs from that show? One of the ones I really liked was the uh, Little Deb. This is her best friend, and she just wants to be going through puberty, just like uh, Pubertina. And so Emily made this cliffhanger where she, this is kind of weird, but she gets one of her boobs early. And apparently this is a thing where one of them can grow and the other one hasn't grown yet. So she's like stuck with quote unquote a nubby. And uh, <laughs> we had a song where she's like, I want my period now. It's like this epic um, musical number. What kind of things as a composer have you learned from working on all these animations? You know, a lot of times the action is really quick, especially in some of these web series where there's not enough time to develop a theme or, you know, a song where you have to switch gears into something totally different. 
So it's it, that's kind of an interesting challenge. Yeah. The other thing about animation, too, is you generally can be more creative, I think, than live action. With live action, you, you have to fit it into a genre, and it has to be a certain type of music. But animation is like, you know, fantasy a lot of the times. And so that gives you more opportunities to do different types of music all the time. Yeah. You said you also were intent on making a lot of weird music in CalArts, too. <laughs> yeah. I really think that it informs the other music. I, I I feel like with animation and other kind of video work, I want to try to push it a little bit whenever I can, you know, push the what's acceptable music. And, you know, so much film music and TV music is just bad. And I feel like you can... You can find a balance between something that's interesting that's not distracting. Yeah. I think the only thing in the last year that I actually kind of liked in a score, uh, I guess it, the one that won the Academy Award, was it Gravity? Oh, yeah. There was like a an orbit theme. I thought that was kind of cool. It blended in very well because I don't remember it. See, that, that and that's great actually because, and that's the other thing about that film, the sound design was so good. In addition to that orbit theme that I'm referring to, those two kind of just mesh together with the picture that like it that part it was just really amazing. Yeah. The sound design, I love that how basically it's the sound as heard through the spacesuit. So that's why it sounded like it was, you know, like you're in a swimming pool or something. Because that's actually how an astronaut would hear, you know, grabbing onto a handle or something. Um and it was really fascinated by that yeah are you a 2001 space odyssey fan yeah yeah that's one of my favorites i love how there can be so much tension just hearing the guy breathing in a spacesuit, and it gradually gets faster and faster and there's like no other sound <laughs> yep yeah. yeah it's classic well so i saw that you are working on a pop ep yeah 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 (laughs) so i've kind of had this fascination lately with general midi you know like really basic general midi that you'll hear on you know that you're come on your mac like the default finale sounds right yeah which are not the fault anymore, like, you know, because you have the nicer sounding, quote unquote, sound banks. But I've been using those and like really using them in a way that sounds cool, like combining these really crappy instruments with you know, real instruments or different levels of fake instruments, like on purpose to make pop music. Because huh. there's, there's a few artists that I've been really digging. There's this... uh guy goes by um, the name Bo M, B-O space E-N. It's really great because he uses, like, it's sort of general MIDI, but this, you know, like this kind of cheesy slap bass, but he combines it with, you know, like 808-type hip-hop drum machines and other synths, and so it ends up sounding really polished but fake. I don't know how to describe it.
I have a bunch of tracks I've started. I just need to finish them, basically. Sure. Are you singing on these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not my first instrument. That's why it's a little of a challenge. Uh, so it's kind of an exercise for me. What are your lyrics about? Oh, <laughs> they're really... Uh, right now, I'm. that's my problem. I'm trying to like write and rewrite because they start off horrible and then I have to fix them and like kind of rework them to make sense with melodies. But um, this sounds really cheesy, but I wrote lyrics about sleeping in <laughs> under my down comforter. So <laughs> very brilliant lyrics. But actually, the way I'm using vocals is not necessarily like the main voice. It's kind of more like another instrument because, uh, you know, I don't know. I feel like I want it to be part of the band, so to speak, and not like in the front. What are you doing musically different with it how is it more a part of the or like another instrument like i'll have it doubling another instrument a lot of times the way it's shaping right now it's kind of a little more psychedelic kind of (laughs) a little more uh, atmospheric cool lately i've been working on a project too that's been weekly i think did you see any of that yeah Uh, the um weekly splice yeah. yeah yeah that's a cool project could you explain that for people? Yeah, so basically I have a project called Weekly Splice, and what I do is I collect one... So it's one of those, ooh, you're doing one thing a day for a year type projects. But actually I just started like in February. I didn't start on January 1st or something. I just well, decided one day to do it. So I collect one sound a day, and at the end of the week I take those seven sounds and I splice them together, and I have to do it in less than two hours and make a short song or a soundscape. And it turns out about a minute, usually. And then sometimes I've been having theme weeks. So I had uh, one week where I just recorded a random friend that I was hanging out with that day, had them sing one note, and they could say whatever they wanted to. And then I would take that note and then the seven others and make like a, you know, a short little choir etude. <laughs> One week was like cats and dogs. Yeah, that's. Uh, I just posted that today. So I had a lot of response to that when I asked people to send me a sound of their <laughs> of their animal.
it's so great getting other people's sounds because it's like this is what you have to work with. You're making music out of this, and um, there's so many aspects to the project that are inspiring to me. First of all, I don't try to think about it. It's just two hours, and you do it in the spot, and then so it's way more intuitive, and the results end up being better because it's more intuitive. You're not like constantly listening to a mix or rewriting. It's just hey, you only have time to <laughs> just do something, and then then like tweak it with the best of your abilities for two hours. seems like you have done a lot of projects that are, I don't want to say gimmicky, but like getting <laughs> like, for example, a hundred stylophones together, which is like a small keyboard thing that you, yeah. 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 I, I like the idea of <laughs> gimmicky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm attracted to gimmicks. That's for sure. No, um, <laughs> I like collections of things. That's a really broad statement, but like, you know, a collection of people's pets, a collection of a hundred stylophones. The stylophone thing is interesting because one of them sounds really crappy by itself. But when you get a hundred of them or 30 of them or 50 of them, the group sound kind of transcend the individual parts. Uh, you know, the coursing effect is what I was interested in. I do like multiplying <laughs> as a compositional tool. There's a piece of, for a 400 electric guitars. I can't remember the guy's. Uh, <laughs> it's recorded in a cathedral. With 400 would, amps? I think so, yeah. Wow. But, you know, the mic was not, it's not close mic. It was like, you know, kind of recording the cathedral. Anyway, that was kind of the inspiration behind the 100 stylophones. Are you seeking out work as a composer, or are you kind of waiting for people to approach you with projects? And are you a full-time composer or slash sound designer? Yeah, I hustle a lot. I try to reach out to a lot of people, and but basically, the, for animation, you have to form relationships with creators or like you know get in touch with them, and they're the ones that kind of put you in their shows and have you score their shorts and their TV shows and everything. So it's good to network with them. I mean, I network a lot with like, you know, executives at like Nickelodeon and, and Disney and whatnot, but you want to kind of concentrate on the creators, the people who actually animate. I also do like kind of post-production services in general, like mixing and whatnot. I do work for the same people with that too, but I, I reach out and contact different production companies because I'm a freelance composer. I don't work for one particular company. So basically, right now, I am actually not full-time. Uh, right now, I actually I blog, too, for CalArts. So I write about art for part of the time, and then I freelance the rest of it. And then certain times, I get way more freelance, and I just basically don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also do other things like notation. You know, I arrange music. I think it's, like, really important to just be able to do everything, you know, like sound design, do do mixing and uh 
I'm working on advertising as well. Like writing music for ads? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been uh, working with a few guys currently. But yeah, I uh, you know, just working in advertising is really lucrative. So you could like get one gig and you'd be like set for a long time, you know? Yeah. When it comes to doing music for ads, do you still find it a good creative challenge? That's kind of the challenge. I mean, obviously, yeah, like you'd expect, it's not as interesting as making a song out of pet sounds or some of these cool animation scores that I've written. But you can find a balance in the ad world because some companies are actually looking for cool stuff. Like, There's different tiers of companies where like, there's some companies who are still looking for the stupid ukulele track, you know, and you can produce it <laughs> yeah. and you can still make a ton of money. And maybe that particular track, you just don't talk about to anyone, <laughs> you know, yeah. you just, you know, and it just pays it the bills. But there are, you know, there's definitely a market there for cool stuff. Like I saw a Nike commercial that had some good electronic music in it. Yeah. So I'm in the process of investigating that kind of realm too. So you said you're also kind of interested in, getting back into writing some chamber music? Yeah, yeah. I think one reason that I've been kind of getting out of it is because you have to have relationships with a lot of musicians who you trust. And I have a bunch, you know, of musicians I trust that I call in for different gigs or whatever. But um, for you to get a good recording, for you to get a good performance, you have to be with them, you have to spend a lot of time with them. And when I was in grad school, I had a piece performed in New York by an ensemble that's kind of been highly regarded ensemble that I won't name that they just totally butchered my piece. And these guys are like professional, you know, like these are high end and uh, they totally butchered this piece that was performed easily by grad students who had less time probably to work on it or the same amount of time. And it just totally pissed me off. <laughs> and so, huh. like, I kind of got out of it for a while because it's just like, why am I going to write a piece that I have no control over, you know, when these people are not going to perform it correctly, even at the professional level, you know? So I got really frustrated about that and, and kind of, like, moved more in electronic direction and, and more of a direction where I have complete control over the sound that I make. Hmm. Um, so, you know, obviously that was kind of reactionary because that was one situation, but trying to move back into that direction where I can write a piece, you know, for a small ensemble of trusted you know, musicians who know what I want. So, yeah, and I also like kind of trying to stretch the meaning of what chamber music is and, like, what an audience is and how people interact with music. I, I work with a arts organization called Machine Project in Los Angeles, and we do a lot of more interactive music or music where there's crowd participation and I find that more interesting you know it's kind of going back to the thing with the the dogs you give them your dogs and you know I have a different palette to work with or you're actually playing a stylophone even though you're not a musician it's like you don't know what the result will be but it'll probably sound pretty cool so I'm more into that sort of thing you know than I am with having like notation given to an unknown ensemble who may or may not play it right that's been my experience, but I'm trying to get out of that and trying to get back into more, you know, working with musicians because I actually miss that element because you can learn a lot from that, working on a piece with someone in particular. Yeah. 
Well, Paul, do you have any last tips for composers out there? Yeah, I mean, try to push the boundaries as much as you can. Like, start going in directions that, you know, (laughs) that compel you no matter what your economic forces are telling you or just try to go with your gut always. And if someone says, like, you should get a computer science degree, you know, and like just, I mean, I got a computer science degree uh, and a music degree, but if someone says you should, you know, you should go just try to do something so you can make some money. Yeah, yeah, do that. But uh, think about your ultimate happiness and think about, you know, <laughs> what you want to be doing with your daily, weekly life. And uh, don't sleep. Just don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> just do your own thing and like do it a million times. Yeah, that's another one that's tough. It's like, how do you balance the time you take composing with the rest of the stuff you do in life? <laughs> yeah, it's really important to get the time in. Like, I, I, I've been wanting to do more score study. Like, I haven't done that in a while. You know, get out right of spring and follow along with the score. You know, I haven't done that in a while. I get a, It's time to do that, you know? Yeah. It's past the 100-year mark. I need to get it out again. But, um... You know, with a lot of my my daily like weekly splice project, keep listening to everything and make music with everything. I love that. You know, you hear a cool sound, record it with your phone real quick, and make something with it. Well, Paul, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Paul Fraser. Check out his website to see more of his animation scores. There are some really cool ones up there paulfrasermusic.com and Fraser is F-R-A-S-E-R You can also follow Paul on Twitter at Paul underscore Fraser And if you heard any music you like in this episode, visit composerquest.com slash paulfraser for the full list Thanks to Bo N for letting me use a sample of his music You can find more at soundcloud.com slash B-O dash E-N Also, the 400 electric guitar piece you heard was composed by Reese Chatham. Thanks to Reese and Regina Green at Front Porch Productions for letting me use that sample. If you're in the UK, Reese has a concert of 100 guitarists coming up on June 7th. Check reesechatham.net for the details, and that's spelled R-H-Y-S-C-H-A-T-H-A-M. As always, feel free to get in touch with me Either email me, charlie at composerquest.com, or find ComposerQuest on Facebook or Twitter. Now, I'll leave you with Paul Fraser's Weekly Splice number 3, which features scraping on a couch cushion, a turn signal, and a bunch of other sounds that he found that week. <laughs>